Movies for Young Stoners news team is back with Greg Franklin on sports. We'll have the latest scores and highlights from the Emerald Cup in Richmond and the National Bong Rip Championship. And Corey Sklar with the weather. Yeah, Bob, there's a high THC count in the air today without much in the way of CBD, so expect the highs to be really high and scattered paranoia. And now back to you, Bob. Plus, Felina Franklin with the TikTok Report. We'll help you sort through all the cute cat and pug videos that the Chinese Communist Party has to offer. Hands off TikTok, you congressional bastards. Thank you, Felina. I'm Bob Calhoun. Tonight, we'll ask what happens when Orson Welles and David Lynch direct fucked up movies about criminal justice and murder. The answer may surprise you. We've got Welles' masterpiece, Touch of Evil from 1958, and the unloved Lost Highway by Lynch from 1997. I know that last one's dangerously close to this century, but we think you could take it. All right here on Old Movies for Young Stoners. You know, I, I think I just introduced everybody in the opening there, but we've got mm -hmm. Greg from Six Point Harness, Corey from the Punk Rock and Goth Graveyard Tour, Felina, Franklin, actor, voiceover artist. We're all here, and it's the first time we've all been together this season, this year. We're a family again. Woo! Family! Hey. Family. <laughs> One of us. Uh, yeah, family. Feels good to be back. We're back. I, I feel like this is a new era for us. We're coming back stronger than ever. The next episodes are not to be missed, people. Not to be missed. Not to be missed. Okay. You know, we don't really do enough weed news on the show. So I thought I'd begin our little chit-chat mm -hmm. session before we get into the movies with some weed news. And according to SFGate, Lester Black at SFGate wrote an article uh, last week. Illegal pot keeps showing up in New York. There's an invasion of California weed in the new New York legal market. They just can't get enough of our weed. It's a problem. It's supposed to be illegal. We aren't supposed to be trucking our weed over there. But, you know, is this really bad for New York? I mean, does anybody really want New York weed? That's the question. No, California grows the best weed. And according to all the news stories coming out of California in the cannabis world, we're growing too much here for our demand in California. Less people are smoking weed now. Uh, dispensaries are going under left and right here in Southern California because not enough people are buying weed. We're growing way too much product. So it's good. Yeah, get rid of it. Put it other places. And uh, yeah, New York, you can't grow good weed in New York. What, are you going to grow it in your balcony in Queens? Come on. Listen, listen, if I want a bagel, I, I go to Queens, right? If I want a slice of pizza, I got my spots in New York. But marijuana, come on, guys. It's it's it, I, I understand why they're importing it. You know, this is the best weed in the world. The one thing we have here. New yeah. Yorkers need to chill anyway. Like this is <laughs> they need it. Anti <laughs> it's anti anxiety. So good for you, New York. Smoke all our weed, please. Here's a little bit of text from the article. New York legalized cannabis in 2021. However, the state has struggled to open recreational pot stores. There were only four legal pot stores in Manhattan of last week. Illegal wow. pot stores 
have flooded the state in the absence of legal retailers, and these stores are absolutely selling pot that appears to be coming from California, according to Matt Carnes, a cannabis industry analyst who lives in New York. Now, this begs another question, Corey, uh, why can't we get those cannabis industry analyst jobs? Like, I think that might be a good position for you. you know? It ain't for a lack of trying, man. I uh, every on LinkedIn, my save search is cannabis jobs and i look every day and i'm throwing that resume left and right so hire me if you need me for a weed analyst i am there for you yeah please hire Corey sklar is your weed analyst if anybody in the in the marijuana industry or that's a racist term the cannabis industry that's listening yeah no you know i i'm on twitter too much which affects your brains differently than if you're on tiktok too much everyone affects your brains badly in some way but mm -hmm. like twitter you just have to hear that you know you will think everything is racist after a while well i want to work in the ganja industry because i love reggae music and <laughs> jaw so <laughs> i'm just happy that that lester black here is using the word pot because i'm like yeah. Every time... oh yeah bring pot back. reclaim it yeah i've written that into scripts and taken it out or written it into our you know mm -hmm. into yeah into the scripts for this show we do have some scripting in this show and i've removed it because i'm like i don't hear anybody say pot anymore because you know i, I i'm a stan lee kid so i like alliteration so i want to say pair pot with touch of evil you know and i i always write that and then i take it out because i'm like that sounds even too old man for me but i'm happy lester black is bringing it back i'm gonna put pot in the uh old movies for young, young stoner scripts going forward thank you lester black of sf gate well when are we gonna bring back lids you know oh, like yeah. like felena do you know what a lid is no, what Wait, is well, that? let me because lid was out by the time i started smoking so let me i believe it means an ounce Right? It, it's an ounce, but okay. if you didn't have a scale, you could put your pot on a old Folgers coffee lid to measure out basically. Wow. That's amazing. Life hacks. You could buy a lid. And if you listen to old Cheech and Chong albums, you'll hear them mentioning, you know, like a, a lid. That's why it's called a lid. I never <laughs> knew. That would yeah. be something, a great idea for a TikTok. Like, why do they call it lid? Let's say why. You know? <laughs> yeah. My sister is 11 years older than me. So she's a teenager when I'm like a little kid and I just want to like play with my Star Wars action figures. And my mom's not around. So her friends come over and they're all getting stoned. And this is back when any California re weed was considered homegrown oh that's just homegrown that was like the 80s and 90s that berkeley labs mm. and all this crazy california weed starts so they got tie stick you know you uh. got weed from you know maui wowie and you got weed from hawaii and and columbia and you know like the steely dan song the columbia they are talking about coke and that they're actually talking about weed believe it or not and uh tie stick and it used to come on a stick it was like it had a stick almost like a kind of filipino barbecue skewer and there was all this bud tied to it so it was like just master product design and marketing you know it's probably where steve jobs got all his ideas for the mac as he was like if i can do something as cool as that tie stick that was on a stick right. <laughs> you listen to cheech and chong records tie stick yeah. is like the best weed according to those in whatever you, the cheech and chong averse it's like oh mm -hmm. man that's tie stick oh man that's the, and then they show a, i see a picture it's just a big old brown bud tied to a stick <laughs> people got the room got excited when somebody busted out the tie stick and they would untie it and they would kind of do it slowly to marvel at it i swear to god <laughs> like these are my childhood yes. memories folks well well cheech says you know it's called tie stick because they have to tie it to a stick
Yeah. <laughs> that's a good old joke. They did. That's the thing. They did tie it to a fucking stick. It's like this is this this had to happen. This had to happen on the American side though. Like the ties oh, yeah. were tying it to a stick. They knew who they were. But Americans were like they didn't even know who the ties were. They just thought they were Chinese or something. And, and... Yeah. one report that comes from friend of the show, Saharat Tantivaranyu, who just spent a month in Thailand. Weed is now legal in Thailand. Where it, used to, where it used to carry heavy prison sentences now is totally legal and is awesome, according to him. So to, I don't know if we get any listeners in uh, Thailand. Check the uh, analytics, Bob. We, we, <laughs> we don't, but, you know, Pakistan isn't very far from Thailand. So our Pakistani <laughs> listeners, they, they probably want to know this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Have any of you smoked weed at a place you're really not supposed to like another country or the roof of the white house or something i smoke weed in my non-smoking apartment building. oh that's so bad oh <laughs> greg greg what about that's you bad. uh on the warped tour in 20 2001 i i remember smoking uh, a, a lot of grass in um in madison wisconsin at the venue there was an underground pool that was abandoned and we all went down to the underground pool that was it was straight out of a horror movie like it follows or something this weed we got in madison it was ten dollars an eighth and we smoked the entire eighth at one in one sitting and had the worst headache of my entire life <laughs> so if it was forbidden i definitely paid the price that's what you have to look forward to new york <laughs> exactly. No, they're getting the good shit. Congratulations. Earlier uh this week or last week, I uh tweeted to friend of the show Ungayo Bilam to ask if there was a database where we could type in a California strain like Blue Dream and find out what other strains in other states' legal markets were similar because we're very California centric on the show. Turns out it doesn't matter because California weed is invading New York, so maybe I shouldn't be so worried about this. Yeah. Uh, we've had a couple of guests on, uh, you know, like just of Weesey from Ohio, and they have different weed there. And so we're always pushing California weed on the world. So I asked him, Gaio, if there was a database to to that would uh, give me similar strains in other states, and he didn't know. And then David Downs, uh, senior editor of Leafly, he responded, didn't really quite answer my question, but he gave me the 10 best-selling weed strains of 2022. We should have covered it way back. The guy then. from Leafly contacted you on, on he Twitter? Follows, he follows he fo me on Twitter. Oh, man, I love yeah. your website, dude. You're amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's a senior editor. We need to, if he'll watch a couple of Busby Berkeley movies, we need to have him on the show. Okay. Absolutely. Ice cream cake is on here. I mean, it's a lot of stuff that we have smoked and watched movies with. Blue Dream, which I still have this massive bag of it. I am smoking it. Blue Dream is like our Beatles. It's just our, it's like the, yeah. the base, the booyah base of, of weeds. If you just need something, that's what we say. Just get Blue Dream. Yeah, that's what mm -hmm. I'm doing. That's what I'm the doing. The Beatles. It, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not. It's not the Led Zeppelin or the Stones, but it's no. the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, it's just like the the the, no. the gravy, the base of the dish, right there. You just Wedding need to get cake. your head right. Wedding cake is always. Wedding cake's good. very popular right now. I smoked it with Cleo from five to seven in our last episode. That that's was, right. That yeah. was which. I felt kind of like, am I being sexist to smoke wedding cake with uh, <laughs> with with the Women's Day episode? Because it's pushing Cleo to get married. I wasn't trying to do that. It was just the best grade <laughs> for the movie. 
<laughs> You're so yeah. problematic, Bob. I am edgy. Not to change the subject, but I have to talk, since this is a movie podcast, it's movie and weed. We talked about weed. I got to just ask everybody in the room, because uh, especially you, Felina, I, 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 I got to tell you, I am barbied out. And this is probably because we live in Los Angeles. And, mm-hmm. you know, we are bombarded with movie and television ads everywhere here. And whenever there's a there's a um, viral marketing campaign, we're the ones that are hit with it most. So I get like I get overhyped easily. You know what I mean? Like like I'm almost not watching Succession. I love Succession, but I almost like was I was like, I'll wait because I'm just everywhere I look. There's pictures of Kendall Roy in front of my face. But I love it. I've been loving the first ep- two episodes. Anyway, I'm Barbied out. But I w- at first I was kind of excited for it. But now I'm just like, ah. I don't know if I could take this crazy color palette. I don't know. How? What do you think about Barbie, Feline? Are you hyped for it? Are you going to be there opening I, night? I am hyped. I am hyped for Barbie. <laughs> did my you do whole, the meme where you're a Barbie? I didn't do the meme, but my work did it for me. They put me in a Barbie nice. thing. <laughs> oh, man. You got to do know. one for Bob and Greg. I know. I, I, oh, my God. I'm going to. <laughs> <gasps> this Ken loves to smoke. Um, yeah, this can is problematic. Yeah, <laughs> this can is canceled. Yeah, no, I my entire Instagram is just that meme over and over and over again because I, I I work at a plus size resale store and we have a lot of influencers and I follow a lot of influencers. All of them I'm are sorry. doing that. I know it's really like it's a lot, but <laughs> all of them are doing that and. Every single picture I scroll and it's just more and more pictures of people posing with the same bar. I'm listen, I'm great, great marketing, great marketing job. Great I guess marketing yeah, everyone's strategy. falling for it. But you know what? I yeah, you're jazz. I, we're a pro Greta Gerwig podcast. Yes, yes we're no? very okay. pro Greta Gerwig, but I am excited because I do love and I hope it will be a like kind of feel goody type movie. Right. We, yeah. Those are always good to go to the and theater. Those to are, see. Exactly. Like we haven't had one of those in a long time. I feel like I think it'll be nice. I mean, except for 80 for Brady, but like, you know, <laughs> no, that makes us a feel bad movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we should all go uh, as a fam as a podcast family to see Barbie opening night. If uh, 80 for Brady was in the 80s, it would be 60 for Swayze and my mom would have gone would have been in the movie. <laughs> That would have been a much better movie. Uh, I, you know, that's the thing uh, well, that that uh, I hear that movie's total eighty for Brady is totally a fine old lady comedy, but the hatred of Tom Brady for everybody except for in towns that he's won a Super Bowl for is so high that it's just <laughs> you know. Anyway, we went into football. Sorry, guys, I'll stop now. But <laughs> no, we just do move. We just talk about new movies here now. Uh, Bob apparently, you know, Lost Highway, yeah. eighty for Brady. That's our podcast now. Yeah. No more old movies. Bar- Barbie. Barbie. <laughs> we are doing a movie in this episode where the director and I think just about everybody in the movie except Robert Blake is still alive. That's not that's unheard of. Yeah. That's... yeah and, and Robert Blake just died, and he's kind of the only he's really the reason. I mean, we'll get into it later. He's he's the reason Lost Highway makes a little bit of sense for us, is because he is like the most classic Hollywood guy. Uh, even with the sensational murder trial, but we'll 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 talk about that a little later. Felina, TikTok's been in the news. Uh, Congress wants to ban it for fear that 
the Chinese government is listening to us. Uh, what are what what are you getting from TikTok itself? The the TikTokers or whatever they're called, uh, the TikTok people, the TikTok influencers, the community, and, uh, the community. Uh, the community. Oh, it's yes. the community. We're we we are the TikTok cult. Uh, okay, uh, I'm, I'm already <laughs> sensing the Maoist influence there. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I had a, a couple of friends of mine go to Congress and talk and speak on it it's it's kind of crazy i never would have thought that that congress or anyone would be trying to ban an app like that but especially one that's so universally loved by all of the younger people yeah it's pretty wild i am very uh anti tiktok ban because i think it's helped a lot of teens i uh would say i feel like especially during the pandemic a lot of people kind of flocked to TikTok just for some sense of uh, community. I think it helped a lot of people, but uh, I, it is scary that Meta's trying to take all of our information and sell it. And I think we should just uh, burn Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> Clapping. You know, there's all this alarm over what a company partially owned by the Chinese government or their sovereign fund is doing with our information, but... There's no repercussions to Zuckerberg and what he did with Cambridge Analytica yeah. in 2016. And uh, whatever the hell, Elon Musk, who is a U.S. citizen, but he's very, very South African, white South African. What the fuck he's doing with Twitter? No congressional hearings about that. Nothing no, about exactly. that at all. Exactly. First, you need to deal with what's going wrong in this country. Like, maybe then we can deal with TikTok and whatever. You just deal with fucking these assholes first. <laughs> well, they could make regulations that affect Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. All of it. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and Google. They could make regulations that affect all of it and ban certain information gathering practices industry-wide. But no, they're not doing that, which mm -hmm. Felina touches on a point. You know, there is a lot of meta lobbying going on because they TikTok is clubbing, killing Instagram right now. I mean, yeah. it is it is by oh, far yeah. the most popular. It's, its influence is far-reaching. I have no doubt in my mind that it's a Chinese security risk, though. But like you can't who cares? Like like you said, they're all they all are. And here's the thing about TikTok. It just makes movie making like nice and easy. And it just like have like if you want to make a little movie, TikTok's the way to do it. So that's why it's winning. But I do think it breaks people's brains. I do think it's a bad influence on comedy and hip, it like hypnotizes oh. people. And um my mom recently came to to me and said, uh, my mom's in her seventies and she said, Corey, I just want to let you know I, I'm I, I, I've given up TikTok. I I, I felt my I felt it breaking my brain and like mom that's really good good for you you know what i mean that being said um there's no getting rid of it <laughs> like has this these congressional committees ever done anything they spend so much time and money doing yeah. these things uh, what are they well I, I i love i love the 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 clip that i saw on tiktok of the <laughs> the ceo of tiktok getting grilled by our wonderful representatives who did not understand why does the sunglass filter on tiktok need to know where our eyes are isn't that concerning why does it need to know where our eyes are it's like to put the fucking digital sunglasses on, you dumbass. Yeah. Like it needs <laughs> to know where your fucking eyes are to work. Our, our elected leadership could not be less informed on any of this. Like that's a real, like that's a thing. Like if it is a Chinese security risk, they're the last people I would want 
to be in charge of fixing that. I mean, and banning it, they did the war on drugs too, you know? Like, it's just not going to work. The people want it. It's a... It's something that people crave. This podcast exists because of the war on drugs. You know, that's how good the war yeah. on drugs was, is we have this <laughs> little podcast. Yeah. <laughs> how there's, successful. there's some uh, Tipper Gore PMRC uh, energy going on mm-hmm. in, these, in these congressional committees, for sure. You know, I, I want a congressional investigation into Meta for hijacking the word Meta. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, why did they get to fucking just own a word now that was a perfectly fine word that described a bunch of shit? Now it describes one fucking thing, which is a bunch of bullshit. Right like, it, like, come on. And I want a German government investigation into Uber. Why do they get to oh. hijack a fucking word? Why aren't the Germans more pissed off about this? Yes. You can't say Uber anything. We used to say, oh, that's Uber. That weed is Uber stony or whatever. Now yeah. people think you're hailing a fucking car when, yes. you talk, when you say that. Fuck you, tech companies. Fuck you. No one's saying the Chinese government isn't really bad and scary. But also, TikTok no. is hella sick. Yeah. yeah. And hey, I'm fine with TikTok using the word TikTok because it keeps the memory of analog. Return to mechanical- Oz alive. Oh, sorry. Well, mechanical <laughs> clocks alive because these Zoomers and millennials don't even know how to read a clock. So they need to be reminded hey. of that clock's TikTok. Hey, we know. You know, there's a TikTok community fantastic. of old timey clock guys, too. Oh, God. That must be the sickest TikTok. That's my whole for you page. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, they used to make up words like Twitter, you know, that's totally made up. Where's the creativity? I was just going to hijack some word that means something else. And I will say, though, Twitter, like as a website is very like millennial. Like that sounds very millennial. Right. Like Shopify. Shopify, so millennial. Yeah. Yeah. Tumblr. Tumblr, very. Like just getting rid of a vowel. Yeah. Like, come on. It's very millennial. It's chuggy. When, well, is she, when I when I was living in um when I was living in SF like I was just in your you're working downtown they're just surrounded by all these words like that like oh, Twitter yeah. Tumblr and I remember there's their company's probably still around they're very successful but it was like Splunk and like oh, Splunk oh, Splunk Splunk what remember, did they do I I don't know do like server whatever what does Salesforce no, yeah, do? what does yeah. Oracle do no one knows what they do but then like I remember <laughs> I remember being in a bar with a bunch of people and they had white shirts and it said Splunk on it and I'm like oh no man it sounds like jizz and they're like what and they I, they heard me and I'm like oh no <laughs> I'm surprised there's not a website called jizz with like a with like an extra z on it it's like oh we do cloud we do cloud computing services we're called jizz <laughs> Nanji I'm sorry about this to follow this but I'd like to thank Nanji at Criterion Channel because he mm. always gets back to me with, you know, I email weird questions to them. Like, will War of the Gargantuas be on through Mar- the end of March? Because I need to know these things before I program movies. And uh, he uh, yes. he gets back to me within a day. He's He's been a good ally to the show. You know, I wish I had somebody like Nanji at, at every other streamer. We get a lot of mileage from that Criterion channel. So props to everyone. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> This was her wedding night. Where was the man she had married? Who were these hoodlums? Older legs. 
Starring this outstanding cast, Charlton Heston, Janet Lee. I could love being corny if my husband would only cooperate. Orson Welles, co-starring Joseph Kalea, Akim Tamirov, with guest stars Marlena Dietrich, Jaja Gabor. What are you trying to do? We're trying to strap you in the electric chair, boy. Only the offbeat, original, creative powers of Orson Welles could bring you so suspenseful, so gripping, so different a drama. In 1958, Charlton Heston did Orson Welles a solid by convincing Universal International to have Welles direct the low-budget thriller they were both set to star in. Welles seized the opportunity to play with studio resources again, and he elevated what could have been another police procedural into an irony-laden exploration of crime and punishment. Welles is Hank Quinlan, the grotesque top cop of an American border town who never found a piece of evidence that he couldn't manufacture. And Heston is Vargas, the Mexican official who serves as the movie's moral compass. Now, you can barely do this sort of thing today, but you sure couldn't get away with it in 1958 even with Charlton Heston playing the Mexican. Another thing you didn't do in 1958 was put female lead Janet Lee in the middle of a lesbian drug orgy, but Orson Welles did that too. Nonetheless, the studio execs were thrilled with the rushes, but when they saw the finished print, they locked Welles out of the editing room, cut it all to pieces, and buried it on the B-side of a double feature. The film has since been rediscovered and mostly restored and is now considered a masterpiece. With an opening crane shot that still dazzles today, a banger of a Latin jazz score by Henry Mancini, and featuring Marlena Dietrich, Joseph Cotton, Mercedes McCambridge, Dennis Weaver, and the queen of outer space herself, Jaja Gabor, this is touch of evil uh felina Corey, i know me and greg have seen this movie maybe countless times who here hadn't seen this movie before i had not seen this movie but i have seen the opening shot in my film class and it is kind of fun to get the context yeah i had a lot of fun with this movie i had to watch it twice because the first time i think i just was not in the right headspace for it and then i re-watched it literally this morning and I liked it a lot better because the first the first time I watched it I don't know I think I smoked either the wrong weed or I was just like not feeling it we'll I'll talk about what I was smoking later yeah I just was I wasn't feeling it I was thinking I was like this is just all a bunch of men talking like I'm bored I don't want to listen to men talk I hear enough of that on my daily yeah second time around I was like okay maybe what they're talking about is fun Maybe I do want to hear this crime speak. Maybe I do want to watch Marlene Dietrich tear this man to shreds. I needed to step back and take a minute with this, but I, 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 had, I had a lot of fun watching. I never seen this movie before. I always heard about it, though. It was just one of those classics people talk about, and I'm like, oh, I'll get to it someday, and I just haven't. One of the main reasons I'm doing this podcast is so I could get to these things now. I knew Orson Welles. I know he's awesome. Uh, I know he's eccentric. I did not expect Charlton Heston to be the lead Mexican guy in this movie. <laughs> he looks hella Mexican, though. They did a good job. <laughs> Charlton Heston in brown face looks really Mexican. He does not sound Mexican, though. No. Yeah, I didn't realize that he was doing brown face until my dad <laughs> told me he yeah. was doing brown face. I was like, oh, wow. I was like, was everyone doing brown face in this? And he was like, no, just no. Him. And you can tell. 
<laughs> you can tell when someone's not. And, and brown, but... brown face, white voice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, face, he's very voice. much like, I'm looking for my wife. Yeah. <laughs> what did you do with her? Where is my wife? My wife! <laughs> According to Heston, and I have a Blu-ray set, a Blu-ray of this with the three different versions of it. And I uh, thank God I bought that because there's like lots of there's a commentary track with Heston and Janet Lee on it, which is amazing. Wow, it was cool. done for like an early DVD release of it from the 90s. Awesome. And uh, there's also features where Heston is interviewed as well. And he said that Wells told him that Vargas was educated at Stanford and went to Harvard <laughs> Law School and not to try to sound Mexican or, or Latino at all. Just use your voice. And Heston, in the, one of the interviews on this Blu-ray set, he's like, if I had my choice, I, <laughs> I would have done a little bit of an accent. But Mr. Ask Wells me the chimichanga, me. senor. <laughs> <laughs> but watching it with that in mind and knowing it's Charlton Heston, it, you it know, doesn't, Charlton... it doesn't hurt the movie is what yeah, I was trying yeah. to say. Because it, it's this movie is sick. It, it, he's like donde esta mi esposa <laughs> oh man Ro Ro that's gonna give my wife rosie uh ptsd uh, because ever since i've watched this movie like two and a half times i keep going donde esta mi esposa to her and she's like stop saying that please stop saying that. oh i liked him though i didn't it didn't turn me off <laughs> i'm like i mean yeah it, it, you know this movie it's you don't have to suspend your disbelief it's fun to be in this world you know it was a different time but so yeah i wasn't familiar with that opening crane shot and it blew my pants off wow that was awesome so i was in right away and what this movie does well is it sucks you in right away and then it doesn't stop stop doesn't stop there's constant movement someone people are cutting off each other's dialogue it's just there's always something happening and either in the background or if it's not happening in the background then it's happening on the side of the screen and then there's a crazy camera angle where it looks amazing and then there's a shadow that comes out of nowhere i mean it kind of hits your senses in a really interesting way what it doesn't do well is like i i mean which this is my problem with a lot of noir is that it's just like, I don't follow the story at all. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to follow the story. Like, I don't know why Orson Welles wants to get Vargas. Um, Quinlan wants to get Vargas. I, why are they railroading this kid? And now I realize after I saw the movie, I was because they're racist. But I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but when I listen to music, I'm, I, I kind of tune out lyrics. And that's always been how I am. I like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I've never been a big Dylan guy because, you know, he's all lyrics, right? Except like some beautiful songs he has. Um, I'm all I'm a riffs guy. I love riffs. I love melody. And my friends always argue with me. They're like, "Well, you're missing half the song." I'm like, "I know, whatever." And uh, so I would say this movie is like all riffs, like all the sickest riffs. And the dialogue's cool. The acting is is off the off the chain. But it's all it's, it's all look and sound and mood. It's a mood, right? I, so I really like that mood, but I couldn't tell you a lot about what the mystery is or what the story is or why that guy put dynamite in the car and blew the guy up or what the political implications of that are. But here's what I love about it. I love Janet Lee's boobs are super pointy. That's one of the first things I love. Um, <laughs> I love how Orson Welles made him look. He made himself look fucking terrible like uh. he, he like he did it on purpose of course because this guy is such a scumbag but he just kills it at looking so fat and sweaty and like gross 
and he even does drunk. like these ang- drunk these angles from the bottom to make him look fatter. Great job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Janet Lee says that he, you know, and Charlton Heston say that he wasn't that obese then. He wasn't. He, no, he yeah. was wearing padding and and stuff, and then later he. He was that big, and that's the Orson I knew knew and love in the wine commercials <laughs> and things. But there's so much going on in this movie, and they there's a lot of talk about the lighting and the crane shot and and that level of filmmaking from Wells. But I think it's his best performance as an actor and the audio editing. And I watched a couple of different versions. The audio audio editing, even in the uh, 76 uh, version, not the 99 restored version that has some digital work going on in it. And that's the one that's on Criterion is that newer one. It's all based on Wells' 58-page memo to Universal saying this is how the movie should be. So it's all Wells' very detailed instructions. It's the Mancini one on Criterion. We we watched watched it last night or oh, not last the, night but no it's the it's the mancini version on criterion oh yeah. the 76 cut? it is yeah yes. it's not the it's not the 98 yes okay. i don't know it's that mancini the, score, the mancini score is very prominent in the version oh, I okay watched. oh yeah no it is it is in the 98 and the 98 is better and i'll get to that in a second but first let's talk about the scoring the 76 was a preview cut and that was kind of based on some of the things wells wanted it's like a halfway cut between what the studio wanted and what wells wanted uh they cut it further because people in you know Sibby valley or wherever they screened the fucking movie were so <laughs> aghast by it that Universal uh, made more cuts to it. And so there's e- an even shorter version I still haven't watched because it's really just a curiosity piece where they they just trimmed it way down to barely 90 minutes or 95 minutes. So in the 70s, the, in the Universal and the Vault, they discovered that what Greg calls the Mancini version, and that has the score prominently over it. In the 98 version, what Wells wanted was all that music to come from like visually sourced visual sources so diegetic music yes. yeah diegetic yes yeah they 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 walk by a nightclub and you can hear one piece of music coming out of it all of it's by mancini and then you know the car radio has another piece of music on it uh you could hear the goats way more in that 98 cut like when they walk by the goats the goats are making all kinds of noise does the opening kind of does the opening crane shot have the crazy cuban music on it no, it's 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 like all like sounds that are happening as you walk by them. Hmm. So like the camera. Well, I really like I really liked the music in that. I thought uh, it it's great music. Killed. It's great, but it's not what Wells intended. Okay. I watched the '76 version, and I will say that Mancini score propels the crane shot. It gives it a yeah. propulsiveness that it doesn't have in the uh, Wells version. The Wells version is crazy. Like you feel like you're in that world. Yeah. Uh, another thing the Wells version does, I think it's, it is definitely the big improvement or the 98 version of uh, the story of Vargas and Quinlan, all that drama with the exploding car and everything and what's going on with Janet Lee and the Mexicans and the, uh, the Grandy people and all of that is intercut where in the mm. 76 version, there's just these, they flattened it out. So there's this block of like Wells and Vargas that goes on for a while. And then Janet oh. Lee. Oh, There's an wild. A story and a B story and then an A story. Yeah, that might have yeah. helped you, Felina. That might have helped you. 
Probably. The intercutting does make it better. In the intercut version, you don't feel like Janet Lee is left alone quite so long. Where in the version that me and Greg first saw in the 90s before they came out with this newer version, you really feel like, man, she's just left by herself for a No, well, time. I felt that on the version I saw. I'm like, she is, al- she is alone. And uh-huh. I think her B story is actually super terrifying it's very scary the the mexican pot smoking gangster guys are super scary and i always make fun of on when we watch these old movies and it's like you know they play like silly new orleans jazz and they act like it's crazy rock and roll you know what i mean it's uh, just like uh, ding a dong, a ding yeah. a ding a, oh my god right. but it's like actually like really scary here and that's another way that yeah. music is used really well it's just like it's just blasting in her room while she's trying to fucking sleep and and it's like imagine uh-huh. and it's very it's very tense and it's very scary and i loved that about this movie this is being my yeah. first time watching it mancini does he does mancini does do a pretty credible like uh, back to the grave compilation style rockabilly uh compilation so it 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 has like a weird menace to it it sounds dangerous I, I mentioned before that being my first time seeing it and what struck me is like when I kept saying there's this constant movement on the, on the frame and it's so cool and not just with people walking but also with them talking uh, just there's mm-hmm. constant dialogue and it's clever and it's funny and it's sharp like even I, even though I couldn't follow the story like everyone's like very funny in this movie but like there's two things in particular that struck me with just the constant movement and the one is uh, they're little tiny things it's when he's in he's in the store using the blind lady's phone and in the background, the cops are talking through the window. It was just like, whoa, it just never stops. And then just the little thing, like he walks out of the police station and then someone throws keys at him while he keeps walking. And it's just like very fluid and awesome. And I don't know, people should be influenced by this movie more, I guess. Also, the audio trick at the end with the echoing radio is so incredible. But it's like stupid logically. It's like, oh, there's no reason why he'd not have headphones or the rate the sound <laughs> but it, it doesn't matter because it's such an awesome little device. And then what else Technology. I like about I liked about this movie is once once I, I, I was I thought about it, I'm like, oh that was it's about how cops are racist, man. That was way ahead of its time. So anyway, I loved this movie. It's super stony too. It's perfect for your stone brain to just like absorb the beautiful pictures on screen. So that's what I say. It's an all riffs movie. One of the first A cab movies. But it's kind of brutal. Like they, they just want to frame this poor kid, this innocent kid. You know what I mean? And they're planting evidence and it's why? Why are they doing that? Oh, just because he's Mexican. To solve the case. Wait, I'm so sorry. I just wanted to talk about you were talking about how funny some of the characters were. I wanted to talk about that weird guy who worked at the hotel who seemed like the weird... only guy who worked at the hotel. The doofy is, guy. Yeah, there's a doofy the night hell? manager at the hotel. Who is he? I was confused about him. Him. I think he was. He's definitely sticks out like a sore thumb in this movie. Yeah. I, I think he's good and bad, right? Because when he's like acting like, I don't know, sir. Like he's kind of dumb. But mm-hmm. the scene where he arrives to the hotel and the Grande kids are there intimidating him. I think he genuinely acts scared out of his mind and i thought that that scene was really good you know no i loved that one too i yeah i just thought that the character his character was so out of place and weird i loved it though very texas touch of evil is one of my all-time favorite films i was so happy to uh to learn that we were going to do touch of evil it's complete comfort food for me you know with orson wells as the director 
it's like you're you're getting a gourmet chef making you the ultimate comfort food meal. To me, it's like I love film noir, but this is elevated in a weird way. It's also trashier than a lot of uh, film noir. Some people kind of say this is like the last film noir movie. Everything I love everything about it. I love the crazy compositions. Corey, you were talking about this movie being influential. I think it's quietly pretty influential. There's like some certain shots with that roving camera, like all of these tracking shots. There's an amazing shot where Vargas is carrying a guy down the bar and like throws him down that I know, I just know a young Martin Scorsese saw that and was just like, ah, I've got to emulate that for for Mean Streets, you know, I've got to ma- I've got to use that. It's it's so I think it's so super influential. Just really quick, Charlton Heston choke slams that motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's and it's amazing that's so violent and and like and like kinetic and and it's just so exciting. Felina, I don't know how you could have been bored by this movie. Let's yeah, when you're just that. listening to it, I get it. I understand it. <laughs> yeah, it's so like nonstop. It's so in your face. It's so over the top. Don't I love get the me blending. Wrong. The blending of the of the high brow and the low brow has never been more uh, seamlessly uh, integrated. It's 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 absolutely just uh, one of my favorite movies, and yes, it is an A cab masterpiece. The acting is way better than it deserves to be, right? For a movie like this, Charlton Heston, you know, he is a little bit corny, but then again, there's no movie without him. They would never would have made this film without him. So as much as Eddie Muller of Noir Alley fame has suggested that this movie would have been much more perfect with Ricardo Montalban in the lead, that just would never have happened, you know, but maybe that's something that our AI future can deliver us one day is touch of evil with Ricardo Montalban of the era uh, in, in place of Heston. You, I'm sure you could screen them out like they did with uh, Tig Notaro or like in that other movie. They just do yes. a green screen. Exactly. Just replace him like Cristelia. Yeah. <laughs> don't also don't get me wrong. I did. So the thing is, is I was distracted, but I was like, there were moments where I was like, oh, whoa, what the fuck is going on? And I had to watch that Grandy death scene is oh my so God. crazy. And he I looks love that. so scary when he's dead. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That is so scary. Um, yeah. you, have, you have to admit, though, Greg, like the story yeah. is a little not there. Yeah. Right. But that's not why I watch it. I right. Yeah. I, you know, the the thing that I watch it for is the mood for the for the the world that it builds. It's a world that I would love to walk around in, and uh, as dangerous and scary as it is, dodging acid uh, jars thrown at my head, <laughs> I just like to spend time in that movie. And I do think that there's something to be said for the Wells version, where you're it's more immersive. You know, you don't just have this. Mancini track it It, to me it's like that's one of the things I love is like that marriage of like high and low art and like junk food made by a by a chef you know like this is one of my all-time favorites it's like that zz top gatefold like of movies there's that scene leading up there's a tracking shot leading up to the acid jar throw where he's just walking across a wall Mm -hmm. you know and he turns around and man that shot like that whole scene just knocked Mm -hmm. me out and then he chases the kid and they he's like they it's like very well choreographed through like the architecture of the street right there that that chase very yeah it really knocks me out um also everyone Orson Welles is really good at just casting beautiful looking people that look great on screen and ugly people oh yeah but including himself 
Yeah, Janet Lee looks so beautiful. She's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life in this movie. And yeah. also, uh, the lead Grande kid is so beautiful. He looks like Elvis or something. He looks like a Mexican uh, Elvis. Wait, yeah. there's already one of those. And um, yeah, every, <laughs> everyone, everyone, uh, everyone is is so uh, incredible looking. I can't, Marlene yeah. Dietrich. The lesbian uh, gang member is looks really butch oh, and scary man. and amazing. She's gorgeous. That is Mercedes McCambridge, a big Whoa. actress at the time. People in Hollywood that were Wells' friends all did this movie for basically scale or no credit. And Mercedes McCambridge is uncredited. Uh, she's probably best known as the voice of Satan himself in The Exorcist. But she's in Giant, you know, which is a huge movie from the 50s with Rock Hudson and Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, she's and she like, did radio. She's like a radio star from the Mercury the Mercury Theater days with Wells, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Orson Welles thought she was the best actress of all time. Your mother sucks cocks in hell. <laughs> Very convincing. <laughs> now hold my hand, hold my hand a little bit on some of the things in this movie because I'm, you know, just because just 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 the the basics. Are they in fucking Tijuana and then San Diego? Like, where is the location here? There, Los Robles is the where's the, Los the Robles border here? town. It's this this it's a, it's a Texas border town. God, okay, so they're not in California. I it's in all California. filmed in Venice, though. Venice, ah, of Venice, California. And some of those buildings are still there, but most of them have been replaced by kind of newer, crappy Google. condos. I or... know where that building is with the with the Roman pillars. I know. Oh yeah. my god, that's Venice. Oh and those my god. the bridge, the bridge he's under is in that's Venice. the bridge. Bridge. And oh. back back then, Venice had so all cool. these oil derricks in it, oil rigs. Right. Yeah, but it's supposed to be a Texas town, but it's all Venice. Okay, one more question. Hold on. Why why did Quinlan want to kill Grande? Okay, <laughs> it's just because he's trying to frame uh, Janet Lee for the murder. Thank you. Like, why, why don't? They, okay, never mind. I was gonna go. Why wouldn't they just kill some some other guy? Why would they? Why would they kill the the main cartel ring boss? But okay, whatever. Yeah. I'm not gonna question it. It's uh no because he's there and he's hanging out with Quinlan and of course Quinlan would like to kill him anyway because he's Mexican and he you know but see Grandy wants to frame Janet Lee because Vargas is on his ass so he wants to disgrace him get his brother out of yeah. out of prison in Mexico City and so he goes in on it with Quinlan but Quinlan decides like oh I'm gonna go one better you know I'm going to use a, a piece of rope and strangle Grandy and leave him here with a bunch of weed and a bunch of heroin you know he wants to destroy vargas too because vargas is up his ass about uh trying to frame uh frame that one guy for the bombing and all the vargas is starting to dig into all of grandy's past cases and i have a question you know after watching this movie Thank way you. too many times do you think hank quinlan murdered his wife i was just about to say yes I was going to say, I, I, that makes me feel like he killed his wife the way that he was like, my wife died when uh, oh. she was strangled by a piece of rope. And that's the best way to kill someone. Oh. Why would you also say that that is the best way to kill someone when your murder when the murderer got away <laughs> yeah i mean your wife like okay so just you letting us know that he had uh, wells was like no this dude w was educated at stanford like he has backstories on all these people oh, so yeah. that totally lends mm -hmm. yeah he was totally killed his wife that's so but smart. why didn't he fra did he frame somebody though he wasn't he wasn't wife? as good he wasn't as good uh, at framing people yet yeah he he, he just, was still learning yeah he's like <laughs> But be yeah. a, real, a real cop. Okay, one more one more question. Hold on. Um, did was okay. So Orson Welles or Quinlan says I don't drink, and then he 
clearly drinks after that. Was that him break? Was him breaking edge, or is that him lying? Because he also said I don't make deals, and then he made a deal. So is he lying, or, or was he supposed to be like a sober guy, and then he and then he relapses? Is that what happens? I believe that's that, my that, question. Yeah, I believe he just relapses. He because was after that he's just on a tear, and he's just drunk the whole rest of the movie. Like, like, uh, um, you know, I mean, Joseph Kalea, who is like the, the Quinlan yes man in it, and he's very good in the movie. He's very good, yeah. Yeah, and he's another guy that Orson Welles saw in theater in the 30s. He wasn't a member yep. of the Mercury Theater, I believe, but he just he just saw these people and like, that's the guy I want. Um, And yeah, he's he's great. He's in this so movie. good. Mr. Quinlan! Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> or like, or with or with uh, Zsa Zsa Gabor, it's like we're wasting our time here. Oh, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that one's good. One thing we have we we've talked a lot about this movie, but we haven't talked about the reefer madness ex, uh, aspect of it, right? <laughs> oh yeah. So the gangsters are supposed to be all oh, yeah. hopped up, hopped up on marijuana from mexico mm -hmm. and yeah. uh and like it makes them act all crazy like they're jumpy and stuff <laughs> <laughs> and then even grande's like none of my people get hooked on marijuana you know what i mean like, it's very funny they call it mary jane they call it mary jane in the movie and oh, oh yeah. they, they the the lesbians say they blow a bunch of smoke on 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 janet lee to make her like like Ooh. like like seem like she's like on drugs it's very funny Oh, so yeah. like Orson Orson Welles who's like I don't play the 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 state's game but like he did obviously with this and with and with getting having a goofy guy in the movie. <laughs> he that was him trying to play the Hollywood game. That's all he did. There's this right. whole big thing in the movie about like oh Janet Lee was just doped up on sodium pentothal. It wasn't heroin or weed because it's like she's still that's a that's a drug that the CIA uses or cops use to get to get the truth out of people. That's not so bad. Right. You know, we got Quantico approved <laughs> of that drug but these street <laughs> drugs she wasn't defiled by street drugs it's time once again for the most popular segment on old movies for young stoners possibly banned by congress very soon this is the tiktok report with felina franklin Yes. Okay. So I was not expecting to get a whole lot because I think after like 70s, I feel like TikTok sometimes is like not aware, but they are very aware of this. In fact, this one video on Film Noir Confidential got 70,000 views um, of a clip of Touch of Evil. It is the tarot scene um, oh. where Orson Welles looking like a american bulldog is like <laughs> hey read my future read my future and uh marlene dietrich is like you ain't got any you use it all up um it's got so seventeen thousand likes seventeen thousand likes and 93 comments many of them being oh my god okay <laughs> there there's a lot of good ones i would say one my favorite one that i've seen so far is just slay <laughs> <laughs> i love this movie her face is all pulled up and taped under that wig and she insisted wells film her in that soft gauzy focus it kind of works says smooth pierre <laughs> hopefully he's listening smooth pierre. <laughs> smooth pierre um oh yeah Lots of people being like that acting is perfection. Somebody saying that Orson Welles looks like Brendan Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> There's one comment that just says, you're done. Yeah. You're done. You're done. You're done. True. Oh, 
<laughs> this one guy, I'm sure he doesn't know at all what he's talking about, but he said in reference to that one clip, that would suck. <laughs> good, good response. Good, 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 uh, yeah. good, good. Very positive reviews on TikTok. TikTok loves Touch of Evil. Everyone loves Touch of Evil. We, we said it here, folks. Yep. No one's ever talked about this movie before. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, what kind of what kind of weed would you recommend with Touch of Evil? For someone who's never smoked and or never seen Touch of Evil and and was looking for a weed, I would look for like a real heavy sativa headband, rocks on your head, like like melt in the couch, like you want to be high. And that is what I would recommend. That's my weed recommendation for Touch of Evil. Something that is just gonna put you down. I went with something. I went with something similar, but it was an indica. I smoked Grease Monkey by Seven Leaves, and oh. it comes from a you know cross a hybrid. It's a crossbreeding of Gorilla Glue Number Four and Cookies and Cream. And according to Weed Maps, it tastes like a mix of vanilla and petroleum. I, I didn't really, you know, <laughs> I, I wasn't getting the feeling I was smoking it behind a gas station or anything, but it got me so, I smoked a couple hits before, a couple drags off this uh, pre-roll before the movie, and man, I was just in that movie. I was so fucking high, I smoked a little bit halfway through, and like, you know, I was picking up on the little details, like that weird cartoon squirrel that's in uh, Marlena Dietrich's parlor. Oh, yeah. Like just fixating <laughs> on all the fucking, all the fucking art direction. I should have the art director's name, whoever they were, because there's some fucking kick-ass art direction in this movie too. Just crazy. You know, just, you could keep looking at the shit in the background. And when you're high on Grease Monkey, you will. And also I watched like what Greg calls the Mancini cut. And so that fucking mancini music was just like i you know i'm almost practically i'm so high i want to stand up and kind of like cheer like <laughs> I'm gonna, you know like you know oh man it was yeah. so i really recommend grease monkey for this movie it was it was the ford Wright choice and that's just me going through <laughs> the harborside dispensary in san leandro which is the walmart of weed practically you can get a shopping cart there and, push it through, and just looking for what what should i smoke with it and i'm like grease monkey that sounds about right for this movie. And so it was just that kind of choice and it was totally right. Now, after the movie, I smoked a couple more hits and I had like a kind of rare weed hangover the next day. So if I had it to do all over again, like two hits before the movie, two hits in the middle of the movie, if you think you need two more hits, just put it away. Don't do that. Just that, that extra, you know, it's like that extra, I'm going to take another shot. Like that one shot you regret was those extra two hits at the and end. And then you're just like Quinlan for the rest of the movie, all sweaty and drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I smoked a kind of strain that Greg recommended. This was a sativa dominant hybrid. And according to Leafly, uh, I loved the strain I smoked. You guys got to go check it out if you get your find it if you can and if it's at your local dispensary it's called cereal milk now cereal milk is kind of a bullshit trendy ice cream flavor but it's a pretty good weed strain so um uh, leafly says it's a hybrid marijuana strain from cookies and cereal and and cookies and cherry pie and snowman sativa dominant and it has a loud flavor of sweet milk and an ice cream nose it'll keep you dipping back into your stash feelings are relaxed giggly and aroused 
and it helps with anxiety, depression, and stress. And I just laid back into the couch and melted into this movie, into every beautiful shot, into every glistening drip of sweat off Quinlan's face. Um, <laughs> this movie benefits from being stoned. Now, it's amazing sober. It'll knock you out either way. But when you're stoned, you can start really like falling into the rabbit hole of like how he's tracking these shots with all the movement in the background. Like they're rehearsing this stuff. It's so well choreographed. It's going to trip you out if you're high. So that's what I say. Cereal milk. Well, you know, what are the do's and don'ts of smoking weed with uh, Touch of Evil? All right. So at first in my stizzy, I had strawberry cough and I was smoking that. And it is a sativa. So I'm kind of surprised. That was the first time that I was watching it and I wasn't really into it. I think it could have just been, I don't know, because I was smoking a sativa. I feel like it should have been good. But then I had a sativa dominant hybrid the second time I was watching. And that is electric melon. And it's, it's yummy. I like it. Sounds tasty. It is. Yeah, electric melon. And I was using that in my Puffco. And I had a much better time. It honestly might be the stizzy because I feel like every time I smoke out of my stizzy, I get a headache. Is that something anyone else feels or look? Just... There's there's something weird about these electronic vape things. I don't know what they are, but there's something weird about them. That's mm-hmm. what I'll say. Listen, listen to your body. It gives me a headache every time I use it. So I'm like, maybe I need to stop with the stizzy. But the Puffco is like one of those things on crack. So I don't know. I don't know. The new the new packs, the new packs is great. Yeah. Um they're a lot better than the old packs. Is that you put flour in it though or there are different kinds of packs? Right. Which one do you are you talking about the new one? I'm talking about the new uh my brain is not working today. Hash oil? Uh, is that what it's in there? Yeah, Wax. the little cartridges. You buy okay, a little cartridge it. and it's got, got a it. concentrate in it and it's just like a stizzy, you know, but um uh, it's the Pax era. That's what it's. I was trying to think of. I'm in my Pax era. <laughs> <laughs> Touch of Evil is now streaming on Criterion Channel, and Kino Lorber has recently released a highly recommended 4K ultra high def disc of it that includes all three cuts of the film for Touch of Evil Completus. And I'm, I'm gonna. I hate to talk about Star Wars, folks, but Universal has really and Kino have released a Touch of Evil disc with all three fucking versions of it. And I just keep hearing from Disney and Lucas that they can't release the original fucking theatrical versions of star Wars for some fucking reason. And all the Warsies apologize for it. If universal could give me all three cuts of touch of evil, then you could give me the fucking original cuts of star Wars, Disney fuck off. Thank you. Kino. <laughs> Speak on it, Bob. <laughs> yeah. And John Favreau, oh, my kids can't relate to those original Star Wars movies. Yeah, who fucking cares? I just want to watch the fucking shit I watched in 1977 that made me fucking go nuts and has ruined our fucking lives. I just want to see that. It's a fucking historical document, you fuckers. Fuck off. <laughs> and good on, yeah. good on you, Universal International, for, for giving me so much fucking touch of evil. Like, you're doing it right. We've met before, haven't we? I don't think so. At your house, don't you remember? No, I don't. As a matter of fact, I'm there right now. That's crazy, man. Call me. 
Patricia Arquette receives an envelope at her doorstep and thus begins the wild, confusing, moody, terribly violent, and I found rather meaningless David Lynch film called Lost Highway. As a critic, I'm offering something I haven't seen before, and Lost Highway has that quality, but it also is a film that makes very little sense, to me at least, and so its violence pops out and seems empty-headed. The story, I suppose, is a metaphor for these times, times in which people don't know who they are and are affected mostly by violence. That's the only interpretation I can come up with. David Lynch is a most creative filmmaker, has a fine visual sense, employs great musical scores, but I don't think Lost Highway adds up to much, and therefore, its considerable violence really turned me off. Boy, I feel just about the same way. You know, every time I see a David Lynch picture, I think to myself, this guy is so gifted mm -hmm. that if he would only just break down and make a movie instead of being so clever all the time and trying to outsmart himself with basically what are sophomoric little plot devices, you know, stuff that... that it would be very that, hard that to make this convincing. It doesn't pay off. It doesn't yeah. have a purpose. It seems contrived. It seems frustrating and not to an end. In the late 90s, director David Lynch was obsessed by the O.J. Simpson murder trial, just like my mom and the rest of America. What struck me about O.J. Simpson was that he was able to smile and laugh, Lynch wrote in his book, Catching the Big Fish, Meditation, Consciousness, and Creativity. He was able to go golfing with seemingly very few problems about the whole thing. Lynch and screenwriter Barry Gifford found an explanation for OJ's continued breezy demeanor with the fugue state or disassociative fugue, a psychological phenomenon where a person loses awareness of their identity or memories of important life events, kind of like selective amnesia. Not entirely aware of their own obsessions, Lynch and Gifford wrote this vexing hallucination of a film where a saxophonist played by Bill Pullman transforms into an auto mechanic played by Balthazar Getty, all to escape the memory of the atrocity he's committed. Making things even more bizarre, Robert Blake plays the movie's mystery man a few years before he'd be the defendant in another sensational Hollywood murder trial. Also starring Patricia Arquette and Robert Loggia in dual roles, along with Natalie Wood's daughter, Natasha Gregson Wagner, Richard Pryor in his last film role, and Marilyn Manson, talk about problematic, as a porn actor. It's a film that continues to blur the line between its fiction and the true crime sleaze that's part of its DNA. This is Lost Highway. Lost Highway is kind of an unloved Lynch film, which is, I, I believe it it goes well with Touch of Evil, which is part of the reason Greg and I got all hyped to, to voice it on everybody. Um, I'm, I'm going to play a clip of Siskel and Ebert. They hated the movie, both of them. There's two thumbs down on this movie. Scott Ryan just wrote a book, Lost Highway, The Fist of Love. And he's published other books on David Lynch movies, and he runs a David Lynch zine. He's kind of the historian or expert on David Lynch, and he says this book is sold like a fifth the amount of his book on Firewalk with Me, which I, that's not like Blue Velvet. That's Firewalk with Me. So like this, this movie is just kind of the unloved Lynch film. Now, Greg, you hadn't seen it in years. Uh, what did you think about it rewatching it? I'm a big fan of Lynch. I, you know, my, my opinion didn't really change that much. I think I appreciated it more, but I still consider it a mid-tier Lynch, you know, effort for sure. It's um, got parts of it that I love and I love that, you know, like the previous film, Touch of Evil, you know, sort of blends high art and low art. This almost blends sleaze with surrealism. I, I feel very weird watching a movie like this because 
there are parts of it of it that like make me just giddy with laughter you know the audacity of some of the crazy choices and then it'll just hit you with something that's like really gnarly and real that's one of the things that i love about lynch is that his movies can feel so fake and so real at the same time there there's a film essayist on youtube that i'm a big fan of named maggie may fish who does excellent readings on on uh on david lynch who really talks about how they don't make literal sense but they make emotional sense and if you just kind of let these movies wash over you you kind of get a better feel of what you're what you're seeing and how to kind of react to it so I, I I did appreciate the movie. I think at the time I was maybe a little too literal for it and going like, well, this doesn't make any sense. And of course it doesn't, but uh, it just doesn't make logical sense. I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's a, it's a really interesting film. It's really creepy film. It's got some very scary and disturbing moments. It has very laugh out loud moments to me that are just utterly absurd and ridiculous. I, I, don't really think my opinion changed that much all these years later i still consider it like mid i think one day i mean not that we would necessarily do this on uh old movies podcast but i think his masterpiece is mulholland drive like that's my favorite movie of his and i love blue velvet as well i know bob you're not so much of a fan of any of his stuff but uh but that's okay it's it's weird shit it's not for everybody yeah, yeah, I'm kind of like um, the people that that can't eat cilantro because of a gene they have, where it tastes like soap to them. With Lynch, like I've I've mm-hmm. always just felt it was a little too obvious, and and I also feel like all even his best movies, this movie at times looks like a student film. Now it's the best student film of all time, but it still feels <laughs> like a student film. And I watched the documentary on Lynch for in preparation for this movie because I prepare too much because I'm an asshole. But um, which one? uh, The artist life. And that that made me understand Lynch a little better because he really aspires to be a fine art painter, a painter that has their paintings hanging in museums and things. And he saw film as moving paintings. Now, Orson Welles did, too. Orson Welles aspired to be a painter and he was great sketch artist. And so they both come from that fine art background although lynch pursued painting and has pursued painting i think more than wells did wells is just always kind of doing caricatures of people and sketches right but yeah it made me understand lynch a little more and what lynch was trying to do i i enjoyed the movie more this time than i did in uh 1997 when i saw it in los angeles i believe with michelle aura uh-huh we come out of the theater. What did you think of it? I'm like, oh, I hated it. I don't like any David Lynch movies. Well, why did you, <laughs> why did you want to see it? And I'm like, Robert Blake was in it, which is probably the creepiest <laughs> a person can make now. But that was my like, fuck, Robert Blake's in this weird movie. And I, I, when I saw it, then I thought it needs more fucking Robert Blake. And I still think that now, although I think if there was more Robert Blake. Like they gave us the right, he gives us the right amount of Robert Blake. Let's just say Robert Blake never killed his wife or was never accused of killing his wife. But I, I will, I'll get to my deeper thoughts on the movie later. Let's bring somebody else in. Um, Felina, you look like you have something to say about this movie. I had fun. I, I liked this movie. I will say this is kind of like porn the movie. So don't watch it with your parents. 
Sorry. Uh, like I did. Uh, <laughs> um, there are lots of lots of nudity in this uh, movie, which isn't a bad thing. You know, it could be very artistic, but, you know, it is a little bit awkward when your mom is like staring at the screen and you're kind of like awkwardly on your phone just to the side. And she's like, watch this. Um, <laughs> that, that's the old witch from our halloween episode by the yes. way uh, <laughs> yes yeah imagine the old witch telling you to uh watch boobs <laughs> there's a lot of naked patricia arquette and mm-hmm. natasha gregson wagner also there's I, I actually watching it now, I didn't remember how much of that there was. And I'm like, how did this movie not become like a cult hit on HBO just from like young preteen right. dudes watching it? Because it no. Yeah. It, Bury that. Yeah. It, it was for people my age. Okay, totally okay. <laughs> I'm already twenty seven or something, you know? Yeah. So it's like yeah, yeah. It was, that's what it was to us because I mean I was a, I saw it when it came out. I was a big Lynch guy. Grew up with Twin Peaks. Blue Velvet was like if you're if you're like into underground punk music, you like a race. You wear you wear Eraserhead shirts. You know every episode of Twin Peaks. Blue Velvet's cool, and Twin Peaks Firewalk with Me is one actually like one of my favorite movies ever. But uh, sorry, Felina, you go ahead. No, <laughs> it's all good. Wonder- I, but yeah, no, it was fun. I really enjoyed this movie. I love the creepy, weird, uh, almost devil guy with no oh, eyebrows. Right. I love him. I feel like <laughs> I, I, I feel like he's she so. She doesn't cool. know. She doesn't know. No, yeah, yeah. He wait. <laughs> is he the one? He murdered. He he was. Author. He was he, the one. Hey, he he was found not guilty in in the trial, but he was later held responsible, like OJ, in a civil trial for the death of his yeah. wife. Well, and it's uh, okay. He's undeniably the best part of the movie. Like, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I thought the guy that killed. I thought that that was going to be the main main guy the saxophonist because i thought the saxophonist. bill pullman was- seems like he probably has some bodies buried in the back that's what i was <laughs> yeah no that's the vibes that i got because i no that's I the know- president from independence day felina oh i've never seen it <laughs> it's the other pairing of robert loja and bill pullman uh from independence day now there there was a point watching this movie rosie was watching it with me and she turns to me and says you get patricia arquette and what do I get? I get Bill Pullman and this Getty kid with bad skin. Yeah. You know, and then, and then I say, well, you know, there could be a love scene with Robert Loja. And then she goes to bed and sure enough, 20 minutes later, there was a fucking love scene with Robert Loja. <laughs> yeah. That's how he has sex. Yeah. He, I, I, he's the only person. He's the only <laughs> he's the only person in the movie that's not taking Lynch's acting directing, I think, because he's just right. Robert Loja. And even Gary Busey is talking like he's on Quaaludes, maybe because he was on Quaaludes. I don't know. But he's like, Gary Busey is all, I need to talk to you. And everybody's talking like this. But Robert Loja yeah. comes in and goes, I'm going to shove this gun up your ass. <laughs> Robert Loja's chew, chewing up the screen, and, and he's amazing in this movie. And it's so good and refreshing to see that in in Lynch world to see someone like I love the stunt casting in this movie. Um, and and Robert, yeah, the tailgating scene is there's nothing else like that in any other Lynch movie because Robert Lurie, because it's, it's hilarious. Robert yeah, it's hilarious. I do have an some of the stunt casting does take me out. It's you know 
that's that's part of my problem with the movie. It is very dated in its stunt casting. Yes. You know, it's very much like that I, I question some of the choices in there, you know, like like I understand that Lynch is like a big part of the kind of nineties alternative culture. So it makes sense that he would have Marilyn Manson, who's a weird looking person, no matter what era. I hate I, I hate under- that I hate that he's in the movie. Him. I hate I that he's in so, the movie. I think it's so I, stupid. I kind of hate that Richard Pryor's in the movie, to be honest. Like, he's so yeah. frail, and it feels like a little bit exploitive to me, you know, that he has Richard Pryor in his final role there. I'm not super thrilled with that. Or um, even freaking Rollins, you know, uh, as the prison stupid. guard feels stupid, right? Like, these 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 are little things that take me out of the of the surrealism of this film. I, I hate the music choices. I hate I think it's so stupid. I, I hate I, I think it's some of them, not all of them. I love some of the music. Some, some of, of yeah, but, but listen, some of the more I, lynchy music. I, I like don't a lot. like David Lynch existing in a world where there's modern music. I like when it's all fucking 50s and 60s yeah. and, and dirty records and stuff like that. And I, yeah. I, I also hated the, the end of the C- Twin Peaks season three, where it was like all these like new bands and like DJs playing at the roadhouse. I thought it was stupid. Yeah. Hearing Billy no, Corrigan vocals is like, t- t- like takes you out of it for sure. It doesn't work. It's, it's aged no. terribly, and yeah. it was a bad choice for mm-hmm. him to do in this movie. Well, it's just because Lynch is being a follower instead of a leader. It's kind of like later Rush albums where they're like, oh, we heard the police, or we we heard Nirvana, and we're going to try to sound like this instead of just sounding like them. Yeah, Very he's, much. Fa- he's faking the funk a little bit, and I... <laughs> I sensed it even when I was 17 seeing this movie in the theater. I was like, I don't like I don't like hearing Nine Inch Nails in a in a Lynch movie. I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way. That's I like my Lynch yeah. stuck in the 60s soap opera kind of thing. So there's a lot to love about this movie like you were saying, Greg. I love the whole all the stuff before it turns to, about the mechanic Pete story. I yeah. cuz it's it's fever dreamy and the noises and it's in the Angelo Badalamente. It's what I like uh-huh. about Lynch and I like the twisted story. I like the crazy logic. I like the dream stuff. This, for, I think this is a lesser Lynch. It my, probably is my least favorite, and it's not because of the story or the surrealism or the confusion. I love all that shit. It's because Balthazar Getty is bad as an actor in this movie, and Lynch doesn't know how to film sex. That's why this movie and the, and the bad music choices and the Marilyn Manson stuff, all that together, just knocks it up, knocks it way down for me. But yeah, it's hard to watch. I'm kind of mad at you guys for making me watch this movie. <laughs> uh, again, I don't ever, I'd be happy if I never saw this movie again. But it doesn't work for me. And I would say, I would even wager to say this movie isn't stony. I know, controversial. I would say it. I would say it. Trust of Evil, stony. This movie, yeah. I don't know. I don't think it benefits from being stoned. This is coming from somebody who who wrote a true crime book. But watching it now, I feel that the movie is a premonition of what was going to come 10, 15 years down the line. You've got this kind of OJ vibe hanging over it and like the obsession with true crime and just the kind of tabloidiness of having Busey in it. Robert Blake, you know, who goes on to become a murderer. And yeah, all that stuff is cool. I just wish the movie was better. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I love OJ stuff. Now, now, I mean... now, now, to be fair to it, like, you know, I'm looking back at it and reading stuff into it and making it be a premonition because I want right. it to be, or I think it's a cool idea. But 
the nineties was a decade where you just kept having these like trials, like court TV was this new thick medium. Uh-huh. And, you know, it started with the Menendez brothers and their fucking sweaters and they killed their parents and they were rich kids. And then there was that fucking, uh, Joey Buttafuoco thing, Amy Fisher, which was a really minor crime. You're like Lorena Bobbitt, Lorena Bobbitt cutting off. And yeah. then o- it kept getting bigger. And then OJ yeah. happens and, o- you know, Kurt Cobain is not the biggest thing in the nineties. The OJ trial is the nineties. That's what the nineties really was. And then you think, how could it? How could it top that? How could it go there? And then it's the Bill Clinton, uh, Monica Lewinsky yeah. stuff. It goes all the way to the White House by the end of the '90s. It just kept going up and up and up. And that whole thing, you know, Donald Trump is a big figure in the '90s. Uh, you know, on the cover of Vanity Fair all the time. All that shit from the '90s is the world we lived in 2016 on. Really, it's setting the mm. stage, and Lynch is keying in on it. But he doesn't really know how because, I mean, he isn't clairvoyant, but he's seeing these he's picking up these vibes in the zeitgeist. I wish he would have leaned more into because, like, obviously there's the camera and the media and surveillance, such a big part of this movie. And Robert Blake is representing the media or some shit. I don't know. What do you think, Robert? What do you think the little devil guy was, Felina? What was his deal? Oh, that is such a good question. <laughs> I um I honestly I think he was just there to be spooky. <laughs> I kind of like honestly when I was watching this movie I was like how much of this like actually has a purpose and how much of this is just because it's scary looking. Um I will also say when I was driving home last night I had to I had to park far away because we only have one parking spot and I had to park outside of this house that looked super abandoned and it totally <laughs> looked like that guy was going to peek out and I was genuinely scared. I was like, I ha- I called my partner. I was like, hello, can you come and pick me up from my parking spot? Because this oh, is man. spooky. He just died. You, you, that was, it was a real threat before, but now well, he's yeah. gone. Robert Blake well, is gone. Okay. Now, so. what about his ghost? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I don't think Robert Blake ghost? Robert Blake went somewhere. His ghost isn't stuck in limbo, I promise. I will yeah. say though, um to also I mean, I live in Van Nuys and half of this takes place yeah. in Van Nuys. Yes. I love that so, about this movie. Yeah, it's like it's great. And but also like it looks like Van Nuys. It feels like Van Nuys. The house no, is exactly. I was like, I was walk because I was driving back. I was driving back home and I was like, oh my god, I feel like I'm I'm on the lost highway. Right now, because you were, <laughs> you'll never see, you'll never see streets again the same way once no. you see a, a David Lynch Street. But he's so he's so good at picking these locations out; they're excellent. And I got I got something story story time, guys. So I don't know when this was. I'm thinking this is like around 2014 or 15. Tigger and I are driving down Ventura Boulevard, and there's a brand new vintage guitar store. And I, I just go, you know, just like skid to a stop, pull over, go inside. And inside there are, amongst the $10,000 le- 59 Les Paul bursts and, you know, vintage strats and Telecasters, is behind the counter none other than Mr. Robert Blake. Oh, And he is just sitting there, and I felt like I was in the Lost Highway movie. Like, it was so weird. Now, there was a proprietor of this store, and he was there as well. And I was talking to him about some of the guitars or whatever. He introduced himself to me. I introduced myself back to him. And then 
Robert Blake is just sitting right there. I knew exactly who he was. He extended his hand. He introduced himself to me. And I shook the hand of a murderer. Wow. Amazing story. That's better than any Lynch movie. (laughs) (laughs) He killed his wife in the same way that he kills Robert Loggia. Just like point blank shot. In, in he's the in only it, one in this yeah. movie that knows how to handle a gun really well it's realistic you're like oh it's like kind of creepy that was part of his defense it's like oh you've got powder burns on your hands and it was like his lawyer and him are like uh, he fires guns every day all the time he's always got powder yeah. powder residue on his hands that was right the defense. yeah the robert blake's <laughs> part i mean it adds a whole dimension to this movie but it's it kind of serves the movie in a in a weird dark dark way and he's re- he makes this movie possible on the show too. Unfortunately, Corey is because he's one of the members of our gang, which AKA the Little Rascals. He's Mickey on the Little Rascals, the oldest actors of all time. Yeah, he's he's like he is this he is this tie to Senate and MGM in yeah, old right. Hollywood. He is um, one of the murderers in the first version of In Cold Blood, and he's the he looks like that guy. Oh, IRL. Yeah. Um, right. So the 60s yeah. black and white version of In Cold Blood, which is probably a stonier movie than Lost Highway. It's got a lot of kind of touching <laughs> shots in it and things. Right. And I mean, he was Beretta, which I think if Robert Blake never, never killed his wife, Beretta was like at the time, like it was another 70s cop show and he's got a cockatiel. Yeah. So I liked it because he has a crazy bird, crazy tropical yeah. bird. And, you know, but it was, I think we would be talking about Beretta the way we talk about Columbo or Rockford, if that never happened, there would be poker face riffs on Beretta and that, you know, and they sure. Red Armisen is Beretta instead of, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. instead of poker face. He's, he's the old Hollywood tie to right Lost, between lost highway and the fucking little rascals. Jesus Christ. Like there's like one degree of separation between lost highway and Marilyn Manson and buckwheat because of Robert Blake. So oh, can they digitally remove Marilyn Manson and Twiggy Ramirez? Out of this movie? <laughs> I like it so much better. I just looked it up to Robert Blake looks so scary in court. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he was man. so mad. He's like, why do I even have to be here? He was so, yeah, angry. he looks pissed. <laughs> I'm scared of I, I'm terrified of Robert Blake and <laughs> and his ghost. Uh, Felina, how does TikTok feel about Lost Highway? I'm so surprised that TikTok loves Lost Highway. <laughs> wow. Yeah, TikTok. There's a bunch of TikToks Makes about sense. Lost Highway. A bunch of TikToks of Robert Blake's scary face. That's fucking crazy, man. I know. I know. There, I liked a bunch of them. Oh my god! Also. There's this one, her name is Avotado Coast on TikTok. And she basically is like, my ex-boyfriend, my his favorite movie was Lost Highway. And I look like Patricia Arquette. So I don't know why I was just like, and she doesn't. Okay, she doesn't. And then somebody was like, you look like Laura Dern whatever i don't care it doesn't matter i just that pissed me off like don't compare yourself to to patricia arquette because you don't look like patricia arquette anyway lots of people really enjoy i've seen lots of clips lots of fan edits uh this movie was so confusing but i love the atmosphere i just finished this movie i'm so confused everyone's confused most people are confused thank you tiktok for really really appreciating lost highway 
What weed gets you down that lost highway, uh, Felina? Again, yeah, I smoked strawberry cough, and then I had a couple of hits off of whatever my dad had in his Puffco. Uh, the strawberry cough, which is a sativa, I think that was that was really good for me with this movie. Um, I was also, I think, in a the right headspace. I think you have to really consider too. Yeah, you have to be in the right headspace as uh, and also have the right weed. So I was in the right headspace. I had a sativa. Dad, what was that in your puffco? I'm looking for the. I have the. I had it right here. Just make just make one up. Corey, you you go while Greg is who who knows where he is. My recommendation for weed ah. for David Lynch's Lost Highway is don't smoke weed and watch Lost Highway. <laughs> no weed. I don't. David Lynch does not smoke weed. You can tell he meditates. He has these visions. Uh, he drinks a lot of coffee. This is a coffee movie. When you smoke weed and you're watching David Lynch when he's at his most fever dreamy surreal. When everyone talks like this and there's just like an air conditioner noise really loud and then there's like three seconds between each dialogue, what are you going to do tonight? I'm playing at the club, honey. What are you going to do tonight? Uh. I am going to stay home and read. It's fucking freaks you out when you're too stoned. My recommendation is to smoke a heavy indica and watch Mulholland Drive, which is if you want... Uh, a good David Lynch noir. Check that out, and the, you don't. The guy from Rammstein doesn't come in randomly and go <laughs> Rammstein throughout Mulholland Drive. <laughs> okay, I found it. King Tut Sativa Shatter. Nice. And I smoked many, many, many more hits than who Felina makes that? Did. King Tut. And um, yeah, Lime is the brand. King Tut is the the Sativa Shatter, and I smoked so much of it that I felt like I was at one with the couch like i was i was at one with the film i was um kind of on another level i was laughing my ass off during the um, tailgating scene yeah i just i was i was like pretty happy and then every once in a while something really horrific would happen and uh you know i just rolled with it i started tripping out about my having met robert blake i'm robert <laughs> I was like, I was like, I just I got know. the chills. I Ooh. know, I know. It shook my head. I was like, God damn it! You killed your wife with this hand. Now I know I've been pushing the luchador gummies, but for this mm. episode, I did. I wanted to get a different kind because they all have copy on them. Like I've been smoking the strawberry or, or eating the strawberry ones, but they all say they, you know, they have cute little copy. Like the pineapple mango luchador stuns with big tropical twist. And so it's like, <laughs> is there stuns. any difference between them? Like, you know, the, uh -huh. the other one does a triple flip off the ropes and blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. This is luchador. Cannabis infused gummies, 10 milligrams of THC in each one. They are from Sianitsa Labs, created by Carolyn Vasquez Mitchell. She is the chief scientist of Sianitsa Labs. She or Ciencia wow. Labs. She and you know, if she wants to watch a couple of Busby Berkeley movies, we'd love to have her on the show. I think I didn't eat the luchador soon enough uh you have to time it yeah i i took it like 15 minutes before starting it it's a long movie sorry about the length i wasn't aware it was two and a half hours or two hours and 14 minutes when i programmed it you fucking did so oh. <laughs> yeah, i think you just did that to piss us off okay <laughs> but i will say that i was starting to get high at the end of hour one 
but it wasn't like the sledgehammer luchador high. It was like, oh, wow. And that was the right state of mind. I, I enjoyed By the time movie. Richard Pryor comes on, you were you were toasty. And after the movie, I was so stoned I could barely walk down the hall. Nice. But that's when you should watch Touch of Evil. Yeah, yeah. Well, I watched Touch of Evil twice, and like the first time I was I smoked the Grease Monkey, and then the second time I watched the uh the newer cut, the '98 cut with the intercutting. I watched about two thirds of it, and I was smoking the Blue Dream for that one. I was I was I was stoned enough not to be pissed off by Marilyn Manson and Henry Rollins and all those people showing up. That's like, stoned. <laughs> <laughs> Lost Highway is now playing on Criterion Channel as part of their David Lynch series that just kicked off on April 1st. April Fool's, but it's really there. It's there. It's not being held back by Robert Blake or anything. So we we came dangerously close to the 21st century here. I promise not to let it happen again anytime soon. But the Felina apocalypse is coming probably sometime in May. And who knows what that'll bring. Maybe the full terror of this century, the still young century. We don't know. <laughs> very, very well. Could could be uh, young movies for old stoners. Oh, we're going to get an education. But that's not going to happen quite yet. You have time to prepare because in our next episode, in about three weeks, give or take a few days, we'll be joined by movie and TV critic Matt Solar Sites for the long-awaited Gorilla episode with the original King Kong from 1933 and the Gorilla love triangle madness of the bride and the beast from the pen of edward d wood jr you can stick that in your pen and vape it right here on old movies for young stoner stoner stoner